0: We have your Bible, please turn to Psalm 96. We're going to jump right in as we continue this series, Renewed for Mission. Today we're going to focus our hearts and minds on what exactly the fuel is for us to live individually and as a church on mission. So Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. But the Lord made the heavens splendor and majesty are before him strength and beauty are in his sanctuary ascribe to the Lord o families of the peoples ascribe to the Lord strength glory and strength ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name bring an offering and come into his courts worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness For he, comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He would judge the world in righteousness and all the peoples in his faithfulness. This amazing part of God's word revealed by the Spirit of God is designed to reveal the stunning, unsurpassed glory of God. This, this theme here in this psalm is God's global glory. So if you're taking notes, this is what this is all about here is God's global glory. So the whole world, including human beings, everything that is created and everything that is not the Trinity. So Father, Son, and Spirit, anything that is not God is created by God. And so everything that exists, exists for one purpose, to recognize the infinite majesty and glory of God. So God is revealing it, and we exist to respond, to recognize his glory, and to respond with the worship that God deserves. This is about God's global glory. We exist to see it, to crave it, to delight in it, to lose ourselves in it, to praise him for it. When you look at Psalm 96, there are commands, specific instructions. They're not suggestions. They are imperatives. It's kind of like parents, you all know this. When, when you have smallish kids or teenagers, I guess it's the same, both at home, when, if you, if you use indicatives, what's indicative? That's making a statement. You're indicating something. If you say, your room is messy, that is an indicative. That, that is making a statement. That is saying, oh, I have observed that your room is messy. And your kid could respond, yes, it is, mom. I agree with what you're indicating. The room is a mess. Going right back to whatever he or she was doing before. You could even ask a question, so do an interrogative, and say, do you think you should clean your room? And, and, and the child might respond, no, actually, I don't think I need to clean my room. Thank you for the suggestion. It's been duly noted, but no, I'm, I'm good with the room being messy. I'm fine. I'm a messy, whatever. So I've learned, I learned very quickly whenever I had children to... Not mess with indicatives or interrogatives, but go straight for the imperatives. Go clean your room. It's not a suggestion, it's not a statement. I'm not, I'm not, it's not a debate. This is this is God given authority as a father who represents God to his children until they're adults themselves. And and so we give commands. And if you don't, if you're a parent and you don't give commands, Oh, God help you. Like, I've seen them at i I've seen the parents that give suggestions, and I don't want to see what those children will grow up to be like. Our God is a good father. He tells us what we need to know. He gives us commands. He gives us directions, instructions. He doesn't give us suggestions. And this right here is a psalm that we, in our Western mindset, we could easily think, oh, these are just suggestions. They're options. They are not. These are commands. What are the commands? We just read it says, sing to the Lord. That's a command. And so if you come and you don't sing, you are in disobedience. Like, this is actually what the Bible tells us to do. Well, I don't like singing. I just like doing this. The Bible tells you sing. That is actually a command. We're told to do this. And then it says, ascribe to the Lord the glory that's due his name. Ascribe means to give. And so it says to give God glory. This is not a suggestion. It is a command. And then it says, say among the nations. Again, command. We're told to do this. We're told to tell the nations about this glorious God. Tell the nations the Lord reigns. Again, these are not suggestions. We have been literally created. We're designed to worship God for his global glory. And as we unpack Psalm 96, there are three certainties. Now, we could look at more, but just to keep it simple, there are three certainties in this text. And they're certain because they're rooted in the very character of God, and so we can be absolutely certain about these realities. And so the first certainty that defines our existence, because it is who God is, is rooted in his nature... The first one, number one, is there is a stunning purpose. So a stunning purpose. I use the word stunning on purpose because it is breathtaking. It is majestic and glorious and beyond us. And so it is a remarkable, a spectacular, pick your superlative, but I like the word stunning. And so it is a stunning purpose, and that Stunning purpose is glory. That is God's stunning purpose. It is his glory. So God's glory, like how do I begin to define that? Like if you know me, you know I like to define our terms. Like I don't like things being said that are a little bit, you know, confusing or nebulous. I like clarity. And so if you tell me, Pastor, how would you define God's glory? I would say, oh, that's kind of hard. It's really hard. Like, how would you define beauty? Oh, I went up you. It's not that easy. But when you see beauty, you know it. You're like, that's beautiful. That person is beautiful. That sunset is beautiful. Whatever it is, you're like, objectively, that is beauty. You know it in your soul when you see it. But trying to put it into words almost does that beauty a disservice. It's designed to be experienced more than defined, but I'm gonna do my best. And so defining the indefinable, like so God's glory de- describes his infinite worth. So that's what it boils down to. It is God's infinite eternal worth. And so God's glory is his greatness or his value his very essence down to who god is his essence is glorious and so everything that god is and everything that god does is glorious he his holiness is part of his glory his justice is his glory his goodness in ways that he reveals what he is like all of it is infinitely good and beautiful and stunning and Glorious. And so if you want a definition, the best that I can do is God's glory is the greatness of his beauty and his infinite perfections. So God's beauty, like the greatness, this unsurpassing greatness of his infinite perfections. That's what we're talking about, talking about his glory. And so he has a stunning purpose. And we just read about it in Psalm 96. It says, declare his glory. Glory, It says for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. It says splendor and majesty are before him and strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Sanctuary is where God lives. That's a holy place. And so it says that so strength and beauty literally live there. Because that's who God is. He is beautiful and powerful and majestic and, and splendid. And it says worship the Lord. So we're told to worship because of his beauty and strength and majesty. So God is described in this psalm as awe inspiring, as breathtaking, eternal, majestic, spectacular. Like a, a text like this, you just try to find more adjectives, and then what happens is you run out. You're like, I'm out of words. I don't, I don't know what other adjectives to begin using for our our minds to begin to grasp the vastness of God's perfections. And so God's purpose is to reveal his glory. So everything that God does is to reveal his glory. And our purpose as created in his image is to recognize his glory. That allows us to then reflect his glory. And then we can respond. Yes, those are all our words. I like to alliterate. We do. We exist to, to recognize it. And then we can reflect it. And then we respond to God at what he is revealing of himself through his word and in what he has created. So the psalm says, sing to the Lord. Worship the Lord. And so enjoying God is what glorifies him. This is very important. Because for me, when I was younger, for for many years, I didn't fully understand, like, how do you give God glory? He already has all the glory. Like, you can't add to God's glory. His glory is infinite. So how do you glorify God, or how do you give God glory? You can't add to his glory. No, we glorify God, we give God glory by recognizing it and by submitting ourselves to it, by enjoying it. So if you want one simple definition... It's the enjoyment of God's glory that is worship. And that is what glorifies God. When we are enjoying Him, that is our purpose. That is worship. That's why it says, Ascribe to Him the glory due His name. He is due our worship. He is worthy of being glorified because of his infinite perfections. So our English word worship comes from an old English word worthship. So it's evolved over the years to just be worship. So the idea is worth what you find worth in. So like from this Psalm verse eight, ascribing worth, give him worth, the glory do his name. So ascribing worth to something. What you value most is what you worship. We are designed by our creation to be worshipers. We cannot turn off worship. If you turn off worship, you are turning off your humanity. It's not possible. It's hardwired into your DNA. You and I are worshipers. We have been made to look at something beyond our Selves and to marvel at it, to desire it, to give our hearts to it, to enjoy it. And so God's stunning purpose, going back to the psalm, sing to the Lord, all the earth declare his glory among all nations. It says, worship the Lord, all the earth, let the earth rejoice. This is what you're seeing in Psalm 96. It's saying that Jesus is worthy of being worshipped by the whole world. And anything less than the whole earth worshipping Jesus is not fit for his glory. Nothing less will do for the king of glory other than all people of all nations bowing down in their proper place of worship before he who created the world and has come to redeem it, he is worthy of the worship of all nations. And he will accept nothing less. And he will be worshipped by a multitude of people that you won't even be able to number of every tribe and nation and tongue together doing what we just did and are doing right now, enjoying our God, praising him together. The praise of all nations. We don't worship a tribal God. We worship a God who is global. He is to be worshiped by all nations. And at the end of time, Revelation 5 gives us a prophecy, a promise where you and I and everyone else who worships Jesus across this planet will be resurrected on the new earth wearing white robes. And it describes all of creation singing to Jesus. And the question is, who is worthy? Heavenly beings are asking the question, who is Worthy, And all of heaven is singing. And it says to Jesus, you are worthy, Jesus, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And it says, worthy is the lamb who was slain. It says, every creature says on earth and under the earth everywhere in heaven cries out to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory forever. That is where we're headed. That is where God is moving history to its appointed conclusion. Jesus being worshiped by people from all nations. And at the end of time, when the sun is no more and this earth is remade and all of us have been resurrected, we will stand with people from all nations and we will all bow before King Jesus, utterly amazed and in awe and love him as our greatest treasure, all the earth singing to him, Because of God's global glory. So God has a stunning purpose, which is to display his glory. Our purpose is to then recognize it, to enjoy it, to respond with worship. So that is the first certainty that God has a glorious purpose. Number two, there is a staggering problem. Yes, I like the word staggering. I use it on purpose. There is a stunning purpose, which is God's glory, but we have a staggering problem. And by staggering, I'm talking about like a devastating, horrifying, dreadful, terrible, no good, very bad problem. We have a staggering problem, and that problem is idolatry. The problem is idol worship. Now, for us to understand why I'm describing idolatry as a truly staggering problem, we have to go back to the beginning, to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. With Adam and Eve, when they were there, they were naked with no shame. Now, by the way, quick sidebar for those of you that are married and those that are not married, what you should aim for, marriage is supposed to be naked and unashamed. Completely stripped bare, emotionally naked, vulnerable, transparent, mentally, spiritually, physically as well. Yes, married people do that too. In every possible way, open, saying, here I am. I'm not hiding anything from you. And yet there's safety and there's trust. That is glorifying to God. Naked and not ashamed. Beautiful. That is a picture of marriage. Adam and Eve had that. Like they actually had that. We can't, even, we can't even imagine because we're in a fallen world. Adam and Eve enjoyed that. And they had no sin, no depression, no anxiety, no back pain, no Other, whatever you can possibly imagine, whatever struggles you have emotional, mental, physical, spiritual struggles or problems none of them existed in the garden. They had a perfect home, a perfect marriage, it was satisfying, meaningful, purposeful work to do. They had God Himself every evening. God would come in and walk with them, and they would enjoy God's presence in His sanctuary, which was. Eden, the holy place of God. Adam and Eve lived there. They were enjoying God and all of his blessings. And then what happened? Adam and Eve lost their taste for God. They lost their taste for the goodness of God. It's as though you you taste something and you taste it and you're like, Yeah, I'm not eating that. No, thank you. They tasted God's glory and his goodness, his presence. They're like, like, they lost their taste for God. They didn't want him or his presence or his gifts anymore how someone can lose their taste for the bread of life and living water. It's definitely a mystery how Adam and Eve did that, but the Bible is very clear that they rejected God, lost their taste for him, and they preferred something else instead. They wanted to be God, not worship They preferred a counterfeit God instead of the real thing. They went for an idol, for a cheap imitation. And so idol worship, if you stop and think about it, it is shocking. It really is staggering. It's unthinkable. It's so wicked. It's heinous. This is like the greatest outrage in the history of humanity. That Adam and Eve would say, no, God, we're done with you. We don't want you or your blessings or your goodness or your presence or your glory. We don't want you anymore. They rebelled against God. Idolatry at its essence is a exchanging. It's a, a trade saying, I'm going to exchange the infinite glory and beauty and majesty of God. I'm going to give that up. And instead, I'm going to take something created and I'm going to love this thing more. I'm going to let this created thing fill me and fulfill me and bless me. And I'm going to enjoy it more than I'm going to enjoy God. So the essence of evil, if you think, well, what is down to the essence of evil It is desiring anything else more than you desire God. And how does God feel about us worshiping anything other than him? Verse 5, for the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. He kind of has a strong opinion there. He calls them worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. God is creator The sustainer, all-powerful, the Savior. And yet, as humans, we would go to other things instead. Our thoughts, what we think about, our desires, and our actions are always centered on something. Remember, we can't turn off worship. We were made to worship. So this is that stunning purpose is to worship God for his glory. The staggering problem is idolatry. And so what happens to us is we get our hearts, our minds, our life fixed on something else. Let me give you three ways to examine what you truly worship. Three blanks to fill in if you're taking notes for self-examination on are you actually worshiping Jesus or has something else become a counterfeit that you're worshiping instead. First one. I worry most about blank. I worry most about you fill in the blank. Because what you worry about the most is showing what you're thinking about, where your thoughts tend to go. And so what you tend to worry or stress out over or obsess over very possibly is something that you are worshiping. It has become an idol, occupies your thoughts. Next, I hope that blank is in my future. I really hope that blank is in my future. I don't know what it is for you. Uh, Bigger business, promotion, marriage, kids that obey. Not just little ones, but adult children that would follow Jesus. A vacation, financial security, a better marriage, losing 30 pounds. I don't know. Like For you, what is it that you say, I really hope that blank is in my future? What if? you don't get it. What if that which you really hope that you really want, what if God tells you no? Instead, my grace is sufficient for you in the no. Will your life still be worth living? Will you still enjoy life if you don't get it? This helps you understand your deepest desires, and are they for Jesus or for something else? Last one, in regards to our actions. I enjoy doing blank with my personal time. So I most enjoy doing blank with my personal time. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have personal time, but what are you doing with said personal time? Is your personal time code for pornography? Is your personal time code for I don't want to go home because I don't like being at home because of my wife or my kids or whatever. And that's work and I have to engage socially or emotionally. And so I'm going to work late. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to get extra shifts and work overtime every weekend and grow the business. And and all of your time is on blank and it looks good and no one will judge you. But in your heart, you know the reason you're doing that is not Glorifying to Jesus. I don't know what it is. I'm just throwing out some suggestions for you to ponder. But what do you do with your personal time? Is it in any way focused on Jesus and his kingdom and on enjoying him? Because our actions ought to reveal to display God's glory. So what we think about what we desire, what we do, all of these are revealing what we worship. So the fundamental human problem is not a lack of education. The core human problem is not a lack of health care or, or political corruption. Those are major problems, by the way. But the most fundamental human problem is idolatry. The human problem is a worship problem. It is a joy problem finding joy in things other than in God. It is a love problem. It's loving things more than God. It's idolatry. And so your temptations, your struggles, they are worship problems at their root. It's about having a greater love. And his name is Jesus. And verses 9 and 10 in this psalm describe the result of this staggering problem of idol worship. It describes a whole world trembling before an absolutely holy God. And then verse 10 describes that he's going to judge the world. He'll do it rightly and fairly, but he's going to judge the world. Idolatry is a global problem. And right now, as we're here in this middle school, There are billions, I didn't say millions, billions of human beings right now that are worshiping false gods. You go to the Middle East, they're worshiping the God of Islam. That's a false god. You go to the subcontinent, and they're worshiping the gods of Hinduism. You go to the Far East, it's the gods of ancestral worship and this Buddhist world view. You go anywhere across this planet and you see billions of people that are worshiping false gods that cannot save them from their sin. False gods that cannot free them from slavery to their sinful nature. False gods that cannot give them new hearts. False gods that cannot resurrect the dead. False gods that cannot satisfy a person's soul false gods that are not worthy of the worship of the nations and that is the root problem this is the staggering problem it's idolatry it's worshiping anything that's not god it is idol worship we have a global pandemic and it's not covid it's idolatry that's real global pandemic is people that are lost in their sin and therefore do not recognize the glory of King Jesus. They're blind to his glory. All the false gods are worthless and are not worthy of worship. This world needs a savior. Bell County needs a savior. We, individuals, we all need a Savior. We need new hearts and a resurrection. A new heart that, with the Holy Spirit, gives us a desire, a want to worship, the ability to be now a white-hot worshiper of Jesus. And so we first have an absolutely stunning purpose, that God is revealing his glory, that we would worship him. We have a staggering problem that we left to our sinful nature, and across the planet, people choose to worship idols instead of enjoying the one true God. But number three, we also see salvation planned. God has salvation that he has planned, and this is the mission. And so as we walk through this psalm, we do see an absolutely stunning purpose, and it is God is showing who he is and his infinite worth, and we do have a staggering problem, and all of us share it in choosing idols instead. Praise God for his salvation plan, that we have Jesus who came. Verse 2 is significant. It says, tell of his salvation from day to day. It's telling us. It's, it's a command. Tell of his salvation from day to day. You might recognize that Hebrew word for salvation. You know what it is? Yeshua. Whenever you read the word salvation, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, the word is Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. Is it any wonder the angel told Joseph, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. The name Jesus is simply The transliteration of the Hebrew, Yeshua. So this is saying, tell of his Yeshua from day to day. Jesus is salvation. Jesus is God's salvation. Tell of Jesus from day to day. That's what this is telling us to do. It's pointing straight to Messiah who is God's salvation, is pointing straight to Yeshua, to Jesus. And he alone with his life, death, and resurrection has defeated the grave and all of hell and brings us salvation and gives us new hearts so that we can then be a part of this eternal purpose. Because God is going to gather a multitude that no one can number that will worship him together. And we're a part of that. We're a part of this salvation story. But see, this is very important for us with the time that we have remaining. Mission is not the ultimate goal. We've been talking about this. The ultimate goal is what? A multitude gathered together, worshiping, falling on their faces before the throne of God. When we are resurrected and when we're in heaven Missions will no longer exist. Mission is not eternal. Mission is temporary. Mission will end. The mission will one day be accomplished. And so Jesus will ultimately say, mission accomplished. And when that happens, he will return. When his mission is finished, he will return. And so when we're in heaven... You won't have to go to anyone and say, do you know Jesus? Because they're going to be like, bro, I'm, I'm in heaven with you. Like, yeah, I know Jesus. We all know Jesus. We're in heaven. So at that point, there will no longer be missions. But you know what there will be? Worship. Because worship is the ultimate goal. Mission right now on this side of heaven, exists because there are people in this world, including in this city, missions exist because there are people that are still alive who don't worship God. So this is important. Mission exists because worship does not. So there are people that are not worshiping Jesus, and so therefore we're called to go be on mission. For what? So they'll be saved for what? So they'll know God. For what? So that they will in the ultimate end do what? Worship him. Praise him. Enjoy him. And submission so is the means that leads people to the end. And the end is and always will be worship. Treasuring Jesus. Enjoying him. Seeing that he is worthy. And so mission is not the goal of the church. Worship is. Worship is the goal of the mission. The goal, the end, is to see people enjoying God, worshiping him. But worship is not only the end of the mission. Worship is also the fuel for the mission. So as you look through Psalm 96, you see kind of the main point here that we're told to worship, but it's to tell all nations to worship. And so this church has a mission. Our mission statement is that we would see people that are made new in Jesus, but then grow in Jesus and then be released into the world for Jesus. And he's giving us his really big vision of bringing his renewal to Bell County and the world as we see in this psalm tell of his salvation from day to day tell of Jesus his salvation from day to day declare his glory in your city is, is that what it says it says declare your declare his glory only in your hometown no it says declare his glory among the nations that's what it says but let's just be honest like let's just be real with, with with ourselves and with each other, are you guys busy ever? Like, or is it just me that finds my days really full from morning until late at night? If you're like pretty much all Americans, you live a busy life, which means you probably are thinking, okay, this sounds so great, but I don't have time. I'm just so busy. I've got too much going on. Like, I don't have time to add mission into my already busy life. Well, hang on. We'll talk about that later in this series and what that looks like in daily life. But for today, as we wrap this up here, I just want us to be honest with ourselves that, yes, life is busy. It comes at us fast. We can all just get so caught up with just the demands of life. And so what is the fuel that will fuel us to propel us to actually live on mission? How do we fight through the apathy? Because oftentimes we can be apathetic and think, well, I know there are people who might not know Jesus and they're enslaved to their sin and they're going to go to hell and it's like really bad. But you know what? I've just got a lot going on right now. Like it's just our normal human sinful existence and all of us can really become apathetic and so what, what do we need to break through that wall and to have hearts that are burdened for our neighbors and friends and co-workers and people in our just normal life. You don't have to go beyond that. Just in your regular life. What do we need to fuel us to actually desire to, to have this supernatural desire to want to be on mission? Worship. Worship is the fuel for mission. Worshiping Jesus will sustain you. Worshiping Jesus every day in your own daily private worship. Now, whenever we're singing, I make sure that our friends back there have me on mute. Because you don't want me singing with my voice amplified. And Katie doesn't want me in her monitor. Like, it happened once and she was like, don't do that again. And I'm like, it's not my fault, it's the soundboard. People didn't push the button. You don't have to be a great vocalist. You're still made to sing. You should still sing. And not just here, in your car, at home. You should, we should be a people that are worshiping through song, through reading the word, through prayer, and discipleship relationships, living a daily life of constantly worship, being in the word and and walking with the spirit, walking with Jesus. Like this is what we're made for. And if you are not, if if your soul is not healthy and if you're not worshiping every day, you have no chance to live on mission. It's not going to happen. The only way that you're going to have the supernatural strength to live on mission that will fuel you is the life of worship. When my family left the Middle East a few years ago, we came here to plant this church. From day one, the vision was never to plant one church. Just a heads up, if you're a guest today. Our vision was never to say, oh, how quickly can we fill one middle school cafeteria? Or how quickly can we begin a a capital campaign and build a bigger building and and bigger ourselves? That was never the vision. From day one, and a lot of you that are here were there at day one pre-launch. It was always about we're going to plant a church that's going to plant churches, that will plant churches, that will plant more churches. It's always been about multiplication in our home groups. And it's funny because I've already heard several people come to me and say, now I see what's happening in there. It's getting too full, running out of seats. And if you're thinking about planting a new church, don't even come to me. I'm not leaving. I'm not going. I love this church and I'm staying right here. And I'm like, okay, I love you, brother. (laughs) But it's like, you, you like totally missed it. Like, that's not what it's about. It's about multiplying and planting more churches here and across the globe, as God will, I pray, soon lead us among the most unreached on this planet, plant healthy churches that in a lot of ways look similar to a renewal church. Not exactly because it's a different cultural context, but the same ideas of we don't need a building We don't need a lot of programs. We don't need a big budget. All we need is this. We need the Bible. And we need community. We need each other. And can we plant a church in in a closed country where you can build a mega church? No. News. Flash. No. But we can plant something small. Meaning in homes. Focus on the word that multiplies. Does that sound familiar? It's kind of what we do. It's who we are. And God wants to multiply this church. And so I'm I'm not content with one full cafeteria in the middle school. I want to see more churches. We're just getting started. We're just two years in. Like, this is, this is new. And I hope for you this is not terrifying. And if it is, then okay. That's okay. I can work with terrified. I can't work with apathetic. If you don't care, well, I can't do anything about that. But if, but if you feel something, then let's go follow Jesus together. Because there are more churches to plant, there are more people to reach. Or people who need to know the joy of knowing Jesus, the joy of worshiping him because worship is the end of the mission and worship is the fuel that allows us to get to that end. Man, there is a stunning purpose that we're a part of. Yes, there's a staggering problem, but man, is there a beautiful planned salvation that Jesus has. I think what haunts us, uh, I'll call this gospel amnesia. I think every one of us can sometimes forget. It's like we get hit over the head with life. And then we forget what's going on. And we forget the gospel. And we forget about God's mercy. We forget how much mercy we have received. We, we forget what we've been saved from. So because we, we forget all of these things, then what happens is we live our lives like Practically atheist, like we're not atheists, but God isn't really registering except for like home group and Sunday morning. And yet the whole point is that not to have this gospel amnesia, but to be remembering every day that there's a world to reach. But the only way that that's gonna happen is if your heart is treasuring Jesus and walking with him. So I pray that this faith family becomes truly A worshiping community. Because if this becomes a worshiping, like white hot, burning hot for Jesus, worshiping community, then it's gonna overflow with being fueled to go be on mission and impact this city for our King and see many more people come join us in many more churches that are also worshiping the Lamb who was slain, who is worthy. What a privilege. We have to worship God for his stunning glory. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice."